Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Let's dive right into the Burgundy Radio podcast for April 16th, 2018. Y'all know what's coming up on the show. The Colorado Avalanche are down 2 nothing in their series with the Nashville Predators. We're going to chat about why that's happening and what Colorado can do to turn this thing around this week. I'm Steph, as always, and he's Earl. Hi, Earl. Hello, friends. And she's known by many names. Hey, Jackie. Hello. So Colorado opened game one strong, and Nikita Zadorov got the first goal of the series from Ranton and, and McKinnon. It's a great little rip off of his own entry. Colorado were able to draw a couple of late power plays, too, but did nothing with them. An 11-shot first period in game one in Nashville isn't exactly what most people were expecting, so well done there. Nashville hit back in the second with a weak goal from Austin Watson, but Colorado regained the lead as Soderberg's shot deflected in off Blake Como. Colorado took a penalty shortly after that, and uh, Craig Smith evened the game back up after Mark Barbario tried to clear the puck, but healed it directly to Ryan Johansson. Not, not the guy that you wanted that to go to. Things kind of fell apart a little bit in the second as the Avs get outshot 11-6, to but then in the third period, it's the Philip Forsberg show. He scores on a redirect that might have gone off Gabe Landeskog. He puts Sam Girard, who is otherwise outstanding in this game, by the way. He puts Sam Girard on a poster and then somehow chips it through Bernier, and that's that, 4-2. Colton Sissons adds your 5-2 empty netter. Pecorino came out massive a couple times keep the Avs from keeping up in the third, too. So I think the, the first question I have for y'all is, was this the kind of games you expected? Um, for an opening game, and given sort of on paper how um, dominant um, the Predators looked, it was really surprising to me that the Avs were this competitive, especially in the first two periods where I mean, they more or less dictated play uh, more than you thought they would in those two periods. And the third period looked, I think, a lot more like what we thought the whole game was going to be. So I, I think it was a nice surprise, but with a bad ending. Yeah, the shots were fairly even in the third, but you can put that up to score effects. I would say also more or less it's what I expected. I I didn't think Dabs were just going to get blown out, just dominated. I thought maybe one game would kind of end up that way or it just wasn't close, which that still might happen, but... I guess I was surprised that they got the first goal twice, and I know we won't quite get into the second game yet, but I think getting that opening goal so fast and having it happen twice and from depth secondary scoring, I I think that was a nice surprise. I think in the first game, um, being so evenly matched with them in shot attempts and things like that, was a little surprising. It was good to see that it wasn't kind of the whole bend, don't break, give up a lot of shots, but stay in the game kind of thing. Like they were actually kind of matching up with them. I do feel like at times the Avs have actually made Nashville look uncomfortable. I think some of their systematic things they do have worked out better. So I feel like Bednar and the coaching staff have upped their game a bit. So I think maybe overall a little bit better of a showing than than I expected, but I didn't think they were just going to show up and just get beat up. Like, I really do feel like they were going to be in this series. Yeah, I think the speed that Colorado showed uh, right off the bat, um, I think, I don't know if it was a surprise to Nashville, but it just, I I think it might have been a surprise to Nashville 
um, how uncomfortable it made them. And it, it really did look like they didn't want to play that way, and they were sort of being forced into it. Which is nice, because usually it's the other way around. Usually it's the Avalanche having to try to play some other guy's game, and it's, it was really... We we talked a lot last week about what Colorado needed to do to make a series out of this, and, and part of it was keep relying on your youth, keep relying on your speed, and I, I think that's what we saw, especially in the first period where they just took it to the Predators. Like, all right, you're be- you, you think you're so much better than us? Prove it. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think they're finally getting to this identity that we've talked about for quite a while. That, And like you said, now they're finally being able to exert that kind of identity on a game. So that is good to see. Yeah, and I also think, I, usually like the in-period interviews with the coaches are, are just total bullshit, but um, both times they've sort of asked La Violette, you know, sort of how's it going and what do you guys need to do to, you know, sort of put this one away kind of thing. And, and both times he's mentioned that, you know, we really need to get our four check going and be able, you know, that that's, that's sort of what allows us to dictate play. And then they're not allowing us to, to really do that at this point. And, and I, I think that really holds true because when Nashville really does get that four check going and, and pins the abs or any team in the zone that that's what makes them really dangerous as a team and if you don't allow them to do that it, it, it's sort of a weakness and it, it's something that you can exploit quite easily so uh, one thing i was looking at i noticed it much more in the first game and, and you know I, th- I think nashville kind of countered this a little bit but uh, the abs are really contesting zone exits like they never have this season. And they were sort of stepping up more toward the red line rather than their own blue line before the, where they were trying to encounter um, Nashville coming the other way. And I think it was really effective for a while. It's, it has so many benefits. Like it, it keeps the puck out of your zone and it doesn't allow them to really start their vicious forecheck. So if they can continue to do that, and I think they might have a better chance of doing that at home as well. Um, I think that really might bode well for the next two games. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the matchup game a little bit um, because we've, we've really seen the the Nathan McKinnon line basically face Roman Yossi all the time and yeah. honestly do pretty well with it. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, the, by the shot metrics, they're controlling play. Um, you know, it's not paying off massively with goals. Yeah. All three of those guys are scoring to some degree or another, but um, it's it's not exactly at 5v5 uh, and against uh, Josie and Ellis. So um, I, I, think, I, I think that's something we really need to see the top line do is be able to effectively assert themselves in the offensive zone uh, against the uh, against the Benino line and Josie and Ellis. And I, I think, again, I think in Colorado, they should have an easier time doing that. This is one of those things where I, if I was better as, like, as a scripter and a coder and maybe learned some Python, I would uh, make a, a little tool because I want to see how frequently different players have like one and done chances 
So like I would, I would get in there and and count how many times you have a shot attempt, and then the next event is outside the zone within like three seconds or something. Because you, yeah. you see that that top line, and especially a lot of times Tyson Berry take a shot, and then the next thing that happens is the puck's going the wrong way. Yeah, like on the goal yesterday where he never should have shot it at 4v4. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I would be really interested in that as well. Um, but I, I think, I, I don't think it's a lot of one and done in the sense that like they shoot it and, you know, it's recaptured and gone. What I'm seeing a lot of is the space that, that Landeskog is usually able to create and, and Nate is able to create uh, really isn't there. Um, the Predators are really good at overloading their defense and really putting pressure on the puck carriers. So it, it's, it seems to me that it's really tough for them to create opportunities. Um, you know, when, when, you, when you have a guy, when you have three guys basically on those two, it's, it's a really good matchup for Nashville. And it's just, I, I think that... Um, I think that the staff is really going to have to look at some film and, and figure out a way to, to, to defeat that. And they, they've never been great at getting to the rebound chances. I think they do a decent job of getting the first chance, but then just for whatever reason, the abs don't get a lot of those kind of dirty rebound, kind of lucky bounce goals. Not that they get none of them, but it's just. Or if they do, it's generally Carl's line that's doing that. Right. right, and it's kind of off of their cycle game too. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I don't know that that's something that's gone on for years. So it's certainly not limited to this series or Nashville or anything. It's just if that's kind of the way that they're going to need to generate offense, it it's tough. It's going to be tough for them to kind of rely on that. I don't think they can. I mean, I I honestly I think the way that they're going to defeat this sort of overload that they're facing is figuring out a way to, to get through it. You know, if for, for Gabe and, and Nate to get the puck to Miko and, and have Miko not freeze like he has been most of the last two games when he has the puck. Yeah. Um, Miko but, really really struggled with us hard in game one specifically. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I think all the young guys were a, a little bit overwhelmed at times over the past two games, but you know, it's just more obvious with Miko because he's out there with the top line and, you know, he's had, he's had some pretty good chances that he's kind of choked on. Um, but I do think the way that that's going to, I think the way to defeat what's, what's happening to them with this overload is, is to get it over to the, the weak side quickly and, and be able to capitalize from there. So where I, th I think what you're what you're talking about with the Predators being really quick to pressure um, really shows up on their penalty kill because they have absolutely swarmed the Avalanche puck carriers on the penalty kill. And that did come, yeah. back, come back to bite them yesterday when they had somebody's feet get tangled up with Tyson Berry and result in the 5-on-3. But uh, you, you really see them just being absolutely on top of the puck at all times. It's like, we haven't seen a PK that aggressive in a while. And... That's where Miko ran and keeps thinking he has more time than he does and then ends up turning the puck over in the exact same way, resulting in an yeah. odd man rush the other way shorthanded. Like, there were like four of them in game one where that happened. Yeah, and I, we've started to see this a little bit with a couple of teams that we played in the last uh, three or four weeks of the season. Taking the guy that, that's, that's high on the PK and, and really pressuring Barry. 
Um, because I mean, obviously it's in, it's in anyone's best interest to do that. Cause if you're letting Barry shoot, it's not good generally for you. Right. Because uh, they know that he's the one that's the most likely to take a shot. Right. So it's just that, that, you know, just on the percentages, if you're limiting what a, he can do shooting the puck and B what transferring from weak side to strong side, you know, you're really going to cut off a lot of what the abs try to do on the, on the power play. Basically, the Avs' best chance is to get that cross-size pass, the one that's usually yeah. from McKinnon to Rantanen for the yeah. for his shot over there. If they can get that through clean, that's probably where they, where they get their best looks. And then the other one is if they get it back to Barry and he takes a shot, then those are probably – and obviously they want McKinnon to take the shot too. Those are basically like their only three plays. Yeah, it, it just... yeah and it's just – Nashville's just really strong defensively, so they're not likely to give you that Royal Road pass. Well, and they're not likely to give Nate an open opportunity to shoot, because that's just dumb, you know? Because <laughs> he'll kill you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like playing Washington and just kind of watching Ovechkin. Like, no, yeah. you can't give him space. Yeah, and it, yeah I mean, it's, it's like the it, same spot, it, too. Yeah, if you're drawing up your PK against the Avs, you're like, you know, first of all, don't give McKinnon space and don't give Barry time. And oh. you basically take your chances after that. Crosby scores. Wrap around. No way. Had Brian Elliott <laughs> way outside the net and just wrapped it around. <laughs> Never seen that story before. I really don't know how Philly got to a point where they're using Elliott in a playoff game, but... Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> so do we want to talk at all about the Tyson Berry collision in game one? Uh, sure. I, you know, just to put my two cents in, I, I, I don't know how it wasn't a penalty at the time, but I, I mean, I really don't see it as a suspension deal. Yeah. My view on it is I think it was dirty. I, I think Johansson knew what he was doing. I, I don't think it was a full elbow or anything like that, but he knew that it was the kind of the hit he could make and the way he did it, that he wasn't going to get anything for it. Now, could they have called that a penalty? Yeah, I think so. And, and this is the exact same type of play when inevitably next year or whenever someone brings out the no headshot tolerance and blah, blah, blah or especially when our players get suspended for something next time. And it's like, you touch the head, period, zero tolerance. And then we remember all these things. And I'll never forget that time when Bufflin skated through the crease and hit Farley in the head. And that was just like, hey, that's hockey. Suck it up. And this is (laughs) kind of the same type of thing. Like, yeah, it sucks. It was a little dirty. But... It kind but of just, falls under you, the... you have to call that as a penalty. I mean, it, it, you you can't have guys making that play with no repercussions. And, and again, I'm fine with it not being a suspension, but it's just like you, you can't, you know, that is not a body check. That is not a hip check. You're not finishing a check. You're, you know, that's, that's you know, you're, you're hitting somebody way after the fact in a dirty manner. I mean, these you can't let that slide if you're the official. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it certainly should have been a penalty, and and um, you know, and it wasn't. I don't know if they didn't see it or if at that particular moment they were running with the hey, it's the playoffs kind of 
thought process. I don't know. I mean, it is unfortunate how it unfolded, but this isn't the time to pound the table and say, why didn't we get a suspension? Why wasn't it like Dowdy's hit? I think that's taking it a bit too far. Yeah. I don't think it's anything like Dowdy's hit. I, no. I, I mean, uh, yes, Ryan Johansson came in to make a hit, but the actual point of contact, he really didn't. He kind of just skated into him. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a hit. It wasn't a full speed. Like, Dowdy knew exactly what he was doing on that hit, too. Like, he meant to hit. Get the, I forget who it was he hit in, in that manner. And, um,. I guess the very thing kind of comes to this maybe more overall kind of question of are they getting away with too much? Are they being too physical? Are they being too targeting our players? Or is it just, hey, it's the playoffs, suck it up? You know, where do you find that line? Because I can kind of see it both ways. It's kind of like, you know, this is where inexperience and maybe – youth and unpreparedness comes in but to me it seems like also abs fans tend to expect living more on the right side of the line (laughs) in general and well that's what happens when you've had two playoff series since like 2009 (laughs) both against you know physical teams yeah i mean i I think that the Predators are definitely going after guys like Barry and Sam, and, and I would too because those are the guys that can hurt you, and they're not they're not going to deal with physical play as well as you know as an Orov. So if you're going to be, you know, trying to stymie the Az offense, it makes sense that you go after guys like Barry and Sam that that just you know aren't physically equipped to deal with it as well. And it sucks, but that's you know that's just sort of the way it happens. And plus, that's how you defend against guys like that. Like, Nashville's not going to be able to keep up with their speed. They have to hit them. Right. I mean, Sam is really hard to hit. So if you actually can, I mean, you got to take the chance. Which is why I don't think it's going to be a huge problem in the future, because they've been trying to hit them all year. Mm-hmm. So but the- I guess in general, I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, you just say, oh, it'll be better in the future. Do you dress more guys that back? Do you, do you nineteen eighty five? We need big guys. Like, what do you do? I I mean I think you keep now, playing your game. I mean it's just I the abs just aren't built to change on a dime like that. You just can't you know you can't put like I mean I guess you could put like Tony Auto in there for some size. But I mean, does that help? I, I don't think so. Not not with who you'd have to take out. Um, you know, I, I like I like the idea of putting Duncan in for Orsovsky for reasons we'll get to probably in the, in another segment. But um, you know, the Avs are a speed and and we hope skill team. And it, it, you know, you're, you're doing sort of what Edmonton did this year if, if you try to play the physical game instead. You know, I, I think you just have to stick with what got you there and what you're good at. And when you, if you try to do something else, it's 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 not going to be effective anyway. So why bother? Yeah, it, it's kind of like their power play. Colorado need more looks. They they need to have more ways that they can beat you. But it's it's game eighty five coming up. Like it's 
the time for that is yeah. long past. Exactly. You have to rely on your strengths, and if you have one strength, well, it's a very strong strength, and hopefully it'll carry you through to some victories, like it has in the past. So I, th- I think the only other storyline from Game 1 that we haven't mentioned yet would be just how awful Mark Barbario was. Whew! <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, he did not have a good day there, and... I think they kept him off the penalty kill in the second game. I he definitely wasn't on it much. I, I haven't checked to see if he got like literally zero seconds, but I think with all the time he missed, maybe he wasn't the greatest option to kind of put out there initially on the penalty kill and um it's good he rebounded. He wasn't quite as bad in game two, so I guess that's kinda of what you expect with bottom pairing guys that some games they're really not going to have it and and he missed a lot of time and he's probably going to be more susceptible to that but he um no it definitely was not for the highlight reel for mark that game well this is something we've said with barbarian a lot this year is that he's what we like about him is that he makes decisions very quickly and the problem comes is that he makes bad decisions very quickly sometimes. And, you know, you just sort of take the good with the bad. I mean, the, the, the double bad clear thing that turned into a goal in that game, it, that's, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a real rare form for him because he had it, made a mistake, got it back and made the same mistake and it went in the net. I mean, it's, you're like, dude. <laughs> I mean, it's just a flub. I mean, it isn't like he was trying to ring it around the boards and threw a right to a defender. He just healed the clear. I mean, he just yeah. missed. It happens. Yeah. yeah, and then the one where he took a penalty, and at that point when he took a penalty, it could have been a breakaway. That part's fine, but he kind of created the breakaway, yeah. right. too, so it was just like, oh, man. <laughs> and he personally yep. iced the puck, like, seven or eight times in that game, and... Maybe the most egregious wasn't his. That one would belong to our old friend of icing, Patrick Nemeth. But he he yeah. was Barbario was was not not remotely good. Yep, and you know it's just that's that's just what you get with Barb's sometimes, and it, it's you know it sucks, but that's you know that's that's the way it is. I mean, he'll he'll have wonderful games too. It's you know it's this inconsistency that that's basically the reason why he's a, a third pairing guy. And then on the flip side, I think we need to talk about how well Gerard played, especially if we don't see him again in this series. I think um, it it definitely needs to be properly acknowledged um, that he, I mean, he was just fantastic in that game. I, I think he's had probably some of his best games in the last couple of weeks. I think the LA game and the St. Louis game and, and game one were probably some of his best yeah, he was on. I mean, he was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, you know, I, I, the the Avs were fairly even uh, on the shot board in the first game, and and they're you know that they got a little more dominated in the second game, and you can sort of point to sort of Sam not being in there the second game is where the difference was. I mean, you know, he was sixty six percent Corsi. You know, he just had fantastic shot rates. Um, you know, he yeah, think, he really, really controlled play well when he was out there. I think he was over fifty percent against everyone on Nashville he faced. Yeah, and, well, it's just 
Just like you were saying, I mean, I think we can point to one Sam Gerard performance that was better than Game 1, and that's Game 82. Yeah. Yeah, and I still really like that LA game, he, even though he didn't have any points in that one, but he, he was fantastic at that game. And yeah. It, it's really good to see the... And I think getting the minutes helped, maybe a little bit more responsibility with EJ out of the lineup. He's been playing, uh, starting in the defensive zone a lot too. I mean, he is not getting sheltered in in these games that we're talking about. No, and, um, not at all. The Avs don't have the personnel left to shelter if Sam Gerrard. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, he even had the most shots on goal of anyone in game one. Yeah, I mean, I, that's... There's so many oh. things he did right. He he would have had the he had the third assist on the second goal. He he's the one that started that play. Just he did so many good things. It's a shame that the Forsberg thing will be what people remember. Yeah, because I mean, all right. I know a lot of people have been down on Sam for that play, but first of all, I, I you know there might be ten guys in the league that would have been able to keep the gap that Sam kept on Forsberg to that point to allow people to say like he should have done X in that situation. So, you know, just being in that position was amazing, and you know, I, I just I, I I don't care who, if he was six five and in that position. I don't think. You know, I, I really don't think you could do anything that, that would have affected that play much. Give it a week from now, and people won't remember who the, the defender was on that goal. You just tip your hat to the guy. That was just unreal. Yeah, and yeah absolutely. Forsberg's a great player, and he, he made a great play. And it, it was even on the second effort is when he scored. It's not like it was – I mean, to me, when they say that Sam got completely destroyed, I would say no, too, because <laughs> – he basically kept him to a second effort, but yeah, and and you know, like I just said, I think you know, nine out of ten defensemen in the league would have been looking at that. They would have been looking at Forsberg on a breakaway from you know seven steps behind on that play. Matt Murray just got run have... over by a penguin, <laughs> unaided. And I... He just skated through him for no reason. <laughs> That's why I like to figure that Gerard played this game hurt, too. Apparently so, because as we go to Game 2 on Saturday afternoon, we st- we start with this sad shock that Sam Gerard is injured and won't play. Oh. It's just crazy. The first game he's missed all year for the Avs. It's a pretty big one to miss. I know. I, I just, I, I was so bummed. I mean. Yeah. It's not the same with Adam. It truly isn't. Yeah. I mean, I... I and still, the Avs played a decent game without him. Um, but it just, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't like what if in these situations, but it's you saw a lot of situations that it's just like, you know, if if that was a, a slightly shorter French-Canadian man instead of this dude with a red beard, we might have been <laughs> a little bit more happier with the outcome. Yeah, and there's a lot to get to here, so feel free to jump in and stop me whenever you feel like it. Uh, welcome to the Avs playoff run, Duncan Siemens. Yikes. Yeah. Colorado double lose game two, 5-4, both to Nashville and to themselves. It's got to be said, so let's get it out of the way now and not whine about it again. The officiating in this game was appalling. Uh, Subban dives through Barry's knees, which is a rule they specifically changed to make that a trip, and that results in a breakaway <laughs> goal the other way. There were 14 minor penalties, including an official biting on Ellis flinching at an elbow. 
Nieto takes a star treatment penalty after getting baited by P.K. Subban. The linesmen call any puck that's even close to staying in the zone onside. Nathan McKinnon gets filleted from behind by Forsberg as he scores late in the second. So yeah, not a banner night from Stripes. Yeah, I they they really lost control of the game. Um, like starting in the second period, it was just hideous. Um, you can't lose control of a playoff game like that. Like, all right, fourteen minors in a, in a regular season game. All right, you can do that. But if you need that many minor calls to manage a game as an official, it's just you're not doing your job. And the fact that they called one embellishment penalty is really awful. So, you know, I think if you're going to call that, then you got to keep calling it until people stop. And they just like, you know, they, they called Watson on it and he laughed about it. He didn't even, and, he didn't even uh, fight it. He was just like, yeah, man, Culpa. Yeah, I sure <laughs> did dive on that one. But well... And, you know, it, it just, it, it was just such a half-assed effort in managing the game. I, I was just smoked about that one. Very yeah. frustrating. The embellishment on Watson was one of those where you don't even, like, it's even hard to argue that the initial penalty should be a penalty. It ended up getting called interference, but it was because, like, he comes on the ice at the, at the same time as, as Barbario, and they kind of run into each other a little bit, and then he takes another step and then goes, oh gosh, I've been tripped. And, uh, yeah. Where, where is the penalty that you're calling in the first place here? Like, I've always been one yeah. to, to defend the two each way. If somebody gets tripped and then goes ham about it, like, yeah, he got tripped, but then he also hammed it up, called both penalties. But there there wasn't a first penalty there. And right. not even like that. I mean, if you really do get tripped or high-sticked or whatever, I mean, I don't want to get into, well, did you sell it too much? I mean you're falling to the ground anyway. So then you, you fall a little bit more dramatic or you get hit in the face, but who's to say, well, this was dramatic, but that wasn't, you know what I mean? Like to me, if it's a penalty, then I don't, you know what, if, if you try to draw more attention to it, good for you, but it has to be an actual penalty. Four yeah, times like, there was, this, this was just a, a dive. <laughs> this was a joke is what it was. It, or, I mean, you know what's even worse? I thought when like Sven rubbed his elbow guard on <laughs> Ellis's face and he went, oh! <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that you know, I, I, I'm fine with, you know, like that was a dumb play by Andrew Ghetto, but you got to you got to put Ellis away for that, too. See, th- that one was yeah. one that I just thought was unlucky. Like I, I saw that whole that that go down on a reverse angle. It's just like, OK, God damn it, because Andrew Ghetto's elbow does come out a little bit. And Ellis basically I thought Ellis flinched. Just like, there's yeah. an elbow in your face, you're going to flinch back. And the ref is behind him that, that calls that penalty. And yeah, it looks like an elbow from there. It looks like an elbow in the chops. So it's just well, like, the knee- all right, that's, that's some bullshit, but okay. The Nieto one gets me because yeah. I get the whole retaliation principle, but if it was just between him and Suvan, but it was Rene smacked him in the head with his blocker. Like, yeah, there's no... They were both mugging him. Oh, ticky tack after that. Like, there's no, oh, you you can't get a cross check in or whatever back after that. Like, I think the goalies get way too much liberty. And I know the goalie, you know, Colt does not appreciate that. And it's all always about, well, goalies get liberties taken on them. But they can do whatever the hell they want with that blocker and hardly ever get called for it. 
I'm fine with that. They get tooled on so bad that I think they deserve to smack people with their blockers. But in general, I'm fine with that. But in this situation, Subban literally pushed him into Rene. Yeah. No, it's just I have a huge problem with that play just because, again, that play was was further down the road from, you know, that was one of the last penalties called. Right. And... Well, it, it, that, at that point, period. that is that is a flaw in game management by the referees that that entire sequence happened. It's well, like it if they just the called period, the play yeah. had already left the zone. If I remember correctly, like what yeah. difference does it make? Yeah, and and right. Nieto's like, okay, apparently I have to defend myself here, and yeah, because I'm because I mean, if if he doesn't do that, then. I'll, all the all the fans that are going about, about going on about how dumb that penalty is are saying, "Oh, Nieto's soft. He got pushed around." Like you can't win there if you just let that go and then he doesn't push back. It just seems right, like, it, it... <clears throat> in general, they decided they needed to call things and give the Avs power plays or whatever, and it just seemed like because they didn't want to do that but felt like they had to, then they had to kind of reciprocate. Yeah, there was makeup calls all over the place. Again, it it all goes back to bad game management. Like if if in the first ten minutes of the second when it this really got going, um, if they had been really strict constructionalist about all enforcing the rules for that ten minutes, uh, I think everything would have calmed down, and it, it would have sort of reached a, a penalty equilibrium level where we could have the the final thirty minutes of the game you know, just be normal hockey rather than this shit show we had. I guess in theory, since the Avs are the less physical team, if they're going to call penalties both ways, would it actually benefit the Avs? Or does getting in a penalty kind of back and forth basically kind of destroys all their flow? Oh, I, I think a, I think a laissez-faire game benefits the Abs most. I think they play better when it's strict five on five, no whistles. You know, it's like the more stoppages, the more that hurts them. Even so, if the other team then is allowed to get away with more. I don't. Yeah, I don't think they can get away with more because it's like you know. It, I hate to make a NASCAR analogy, but cautions breed cautions. It's like the more you you keep stopping the play for you know, infractions and, and, you know, bogus offside calls or whatever. That just, you know, that makes it easier for the team that's not fast to stay in the game. Yeah, I can see that too. But, but I do see the other side of that one as well, where if you're allowing everything, then you're allowing stick work, and that keeps the skilled player from being able to use his skill. Right. But I just, I, I think it's much harder to play that physical and stick style um, if the game is going fast. Like, you would take the hacks that McKinnon gets if the abs are then allowed to basically be the same back. Right. Well, they you know, have to it's be like, I, the I mean, the play, the, the play that he scored on yesterday, I mean, you're looking at it, you know, you're like, that sure seemed like a penalty, and maybe they were going to call one on that if he hadn't put that amazing chip shot backhand past Rene, but, um, you know, we, I didn't get the feeling they were, and he was just mugged the whole way down the ice. Yeah, the arm should have been he, up before he even took a shot. I mean, that slash on his stick, I mean, that's, you know. <laughs> I'm amazed it didn't, I, I'm amazed his stick wasn't broken when that happened. 
I'm definitely also more in the just let him play and and kind of impact the game that way instead of us having to talk about officiating and penalties and maybe they would have yeah. lost anyway. Like we're not blaming it on that. It's just it's too bad it was a factor. Yeah, it, it, it's not the officials' fault that the Avalanche lost that game, but it is the officials' fault that that game was painful to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it's just it was a poorly managed game, and who knows what would have happened if you know if they had been able to call six penalties instead of fourteen to manage the game that way. But you know, I would have much rather found out, you know, what a what a less a fair game would have looked like there. So are we are we done whining about the refs now? I think so. I no, think yeah. No more of that. Been covered. Okay. So Colorado came out with jump again. They dialed 877 goal now and got a sweet little play from JT Confer to a wide-open Gabe Bork of all people in the high slot, and he ripped it home. Nashville answered back in the second with three straight goals. First on the power play, because the second period was not allowed to be a five-on-five, uh, Kevin Fiala shot wide and it bounced right off the skate of Patrick Nemeth, who was defending no one at the time. Then Arvidsson picks up a puck <laughs> after I think it was Tyson Berry who shot it from well wide from a sharp angle, and he goes into end. He and sure did. He goes into end. He beats Bernier with a slapper. It's a hard slapper, but I'd like that saved myself. Yeah. Ryan Johansson gets the PK dive assisted breakaway and scores to make it three one. And PK did actually get an assist on that play. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's even better. Instead of a penalty, yeah. 36 seconds later, Nathan McKinnon fights through a thousand hooks and slashes to score his own big rush goal on Picarine, and Colorado went into the third with a chance, which they promptly gave away with the worst line change and blind pass combo maybe ever. 4-2, Watson again. Nashville took a couple of quick penalties after that and gave Landeskog scores 5-on-3 to bring it back to a goal, and then they gave away the opportunity again with the net empty. No Avalanche players have much urban urgency to retrieve the puck after it's cleared from deep in the Nashville zone, and somehow Ryan Hartman is the first to it, with no defender even in the frame? Okay. Yeah. And then that Alex, was horrible optics. And then Alex Kerfoot scores a 6-on-5 fake goal to make it back to 1 in the final minute. You guys, Colorado did what they needed to do to stay in this game and come back to force overtime. They just also happened to throw those opportunities directly in the dumpster. Yeah, I mean, you did, the egregious mistakes. I mean, like, all right, let's let's take the non-call on PK taking out Barry out. Um, and it's just like Barry's just absolutely dumb shot from the bad angle, self-cleared, and you know causes a breakaway. Z passes into a line change. Um, nobody gets back to. You know, I mean, how can you not have one guy back when you're six feet five? I mean, it's insane. Are <laughs> um, they had? That that one was another uh, kind of brain dead moment. Yeah, on, on that one, you, you see Tyson Jost is trying to get back, but he's not a fast skater, and the, no. the the puck is all the way to the other blue line before Tyson Bear realizes, oh, I should probably try to win this icing race. And and yeah. you, you can see the light bulb sl- switch on, like, oh, oops. Yeah, and the, and again, it's like I might not be so pissed at that play if sort of McKinnon was, you know, he was so casual on the empty net goal to, uh, on in the first game. And it's just, you're, you're like, ah, where's the urgency? And it's like, 
I, I hate to, to get in the way back machine here, but remember Eric Johnson saving that um, empty net goal against the wild back in 2014. I mean, it's like, that's kind of the urgency I want to see, <laughs> you know, I, when, I when things are happening, six v five. I miss Eric Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> I don't miss his overuse, but yeah. Yeah, but it's just that attitude. I mean, it just it, it seems like, and this happens on the power play all the time as well. It just seems like, oh, gosh, the puck's back in our zone. I guess we ought to corral it and get it going forward again. And, it, you know, I, I know that's not what they're thinking, but it just, think- a lot of teams really put a premium on getting that puck retrieved from their own zone on power plays in 6v5 and, and getting it back and, and sort of trying to force the opponent, uh, you know, into a situation where they're not totally set up yet. And it just seems like the Avs are, you know, they're, they're fine with taking their time, getting the puck into the zone and, and letting the other team set up. And it just, that, you know, I, and again, I, I know that's not what they're thinking, but it just looks like it. So, well, they've been bad 65 all year and it's just, they have no confidence on it. I looked it up. They only had converted two 6v5 goals the whole year. So, like, they're not there thinking they're going to score. And, and I, get, I get why Bednar does it because you, you're not giving up. You want to give the team a chance. You score there. You know, you tie the game up. But it just it just doesn't happen. And it's, you know, and I, I figure, I feel like it's kind of standard, too, kind of that two and a half minutes to go. I just. I just think it, it's just kind of a stale mark to kind of think like this is when we're going to do it. I prefer to do it on a late power play. Like I understand there's disadvantages to that too, but just Lots. the whole like, <laughs> no, I mean, if you're going to go for it, go for it there. Like don't go for it because, Hey, we're at two thirty now. Let's, let's pull the goalie and do this. Like, Oh, look in there. We gave up an empty net goal. I mean, like they're giving them up. They, I think they've they've uh, given up. I think it was eleven, and they've scored on two. It's just, it just doesn't work. Like, and I understand the, the one time it does work, it'll be worth it. But it's just, they almost have no chance when they do it. Like, they need to think of a new plan. Either do it later, either do it earlier, do it in a different way. And I think that kind of leads to some of this apathy of like, you know, like the. They figure it's over. I mean, you see it on how they play it. It's over for them at that point. So that defeats like the entire purpose of doing it. I mean, I'd I'd like to see them treat it less like a power play and more like straight up five v five with an extra guy. That's exactly yeah. the problem. They treat it exactly like their power play. And the problem for, with, yeah. with that is their power play shoots through traffic like that's what it's designed to do is try to shoot through traffic get bounces or get guys moving side to side and that's fine when there's nine skaters on the ice but there's 11 there's not space for this right yeah exactly this goes back to what i said earlier in that situation you're looking for a rebound because there's so many bodies down there you're looking for a, a lucky bounce you're looking for a rebound goal you're looking for somebody to put the loose trash in and they don't play that way well, and plus, like it's six v five. It's it's darn near impossible to get a shot through from the point. That's all they try and to do. Just, exactly, and, and then just, that's going to leave. Can't have that mentality. Easier. Yeah, 
you, you can't have the mentality of trying to, to shoot it from the point at that point at that situation. It's just, it's not going to work. You know, what you really need to do is try to, you know, get the opponent into an overload situation and try to get it to the weak side of the ice. And it's, you know, it's tough, but that's, that's pretty much how, and it's not just the abs. I mean, everyone has this problem now. It's uh, most teams <clears throat> have figured out that six V five is, is even easier to, to defend than a, a penalty kill. So it, it's, I, I don't think teams really worry about being the five in a six V five because it's just, it's not that tough to defend. Even though the abs have given up definitely more than they've scored on six V five. Yeah. Well. So I, again, in this game, Tyson Berry on the struggle bus. Um, everyone yeah. pretty much seemed to agree that Nikita Zadorov looked really good, but then you, you look at his numbers and they absolutely scream otherwise. Yeah. I mean, it, this is kind of really where the eye test versus the stats kind of fight each other and kind of both are right. And I, I don't think he was quite as good as maybe like, oh, all the hits he's given out and this looks amazing. And you know, it wasn't as bad as the, the stats looks like. He he just was caved in all night. And, you know, I don't I don't think that either. Um, like in the first game, I you know the goal was huge, and then I felt like after that, he, I think he had like three really bad turnovers after that, and thankfully nothing came of them. And then I I think he settled in more. And then in this game, he was hitting everything, and that's what you need. But you know, him and Barry playing that much is also kind of a lot to ask. Like, Zadorov certainly isn't, like, the reason why they're losing. But I think the, the biggest thing you, you look at between those guys is, like, the, you know, their Corsi for percentage are, are both terrible. Like, Z is at 30, and Barry's at 34. But you look at their goals for percentage and i know that's glorified plus minus and whatnot but it's like z's even and barry is you know he's at like 16 percent. so it's like <laughs> they're I, both I, they're they're both having problems in the shot metric department but it just barry's getting scored on a whole lot more and not like you know z, Z's goals for rate is a lot better than Barry's, and his goals against rate is a lot lower than Barry's. So it's just, you know, I know they're on the ice a lot together, but it seems like better things happen when Z's on the ice without him. Is that yeah. because of a difference in their play, or is that because Z happens to be getting the saves behind him? Like, I don't, you know, it might have been Z spent a bunch of time with Sam in the first game, and that inflated it. I don't know. Maybe. You know, because um, Barry spent quite a bit of time with Barbario, right? And they've even like I I noticed they didn't do it in the second game, but they had a little bit of the the Barry Warsawski thing going again in the first game, which we all hate. I think that just happened for one shift. I don't think it was on purpose, yeah. and it was immediately <laughs> obvious why they never do that. <laughs> we hate that. It's bad. It was like, oh look, it's Barry and Warsawski, and they're defending the same guy in the corner, and they're throwing the puck in front of their own net. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with Barry at this point, you you know, there's like the good and the bad, and you know what his game is. There, there's not a game that happens that makes you really say, "Wow, you know, I I never seen that from Barry before, either good or bad." 
Um, just, I think it's it's tough for him because he's being thrust into the number one role, which he's yeah. not really suited for. I mean, it's just, you know, he's not a tough two-way defender. I mean, he's better than he has been ever. But it's just, you know, when you put him in that role, you're, you're sort of stealing from the good things he does, and it doesn't make up for it on the defensive side. Um, I kind of had this thought, and, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but... Has there been a Barry game where he hasn't scored points and been like, that was a fantastic Barry game? Like, does he need points to have one of those he was amazing games? I mean, I don't know. It's tough for most people to call anything amazing if you don't score some points at least. But Gerard, I think, has had some amazing games where he didn't get any points. LA comes to mind. Yeah. And okay. I, all right. Now I see. All right. I see what you're saying. Um. I mean, I think he he has that capability. Honestly. Um. It, it's not something you see a lot, just because generally when he's playing well in those kind of games, like he, he's gonna he's gonna develop some points as well. You know, he just scores so often that, you know, randomly he's gonna have points when he has a good game. Um. Whereas Sam's not at that level yet, but I think he probably will be. So I certainly wouldn't put losing on Barry. It's just you would hope that he'd have one of those really good Barry games soon. Yeah. I mean, the first game he had three hits and no shots on goal. I mean, that's just so not Tyson Barry. Yeah, that's really weird. Definitely (laughs) not. So let's let's go in a completely new, different direction. Um, agree or disagree? Bernier's not the reason the Avalanche lost either game, but he could have been a reason they won both games and didn't step up to that challenge. I'm good with yeah, that. I think, I think it's fair. Yeah. I think the funny thing is actually he and he and Rene are mirroring each other as far as their fancy goal stats so far. I mean. Rene's like slightly better, but not noticeably. Um, and I don't know if that's—I don't know if that says more about Rene or or Bernier. I, I, I have a feeling it says more about Rene. But it doesn't seem like goaltending is going to decide this series, at least for now. It hasn't so far. Right. Uh, yeah, um, I'd say that's fair. It's um. Yeah, for me, it just feels like where the lost opportunity was the Avs never could get that two-goal lead. I think if they had done that, maybe they could have won one of those games. And then you could put that on Bernier for not allowing them to get a two-goal lead, or you could put that on them for not scoring to get the two-goal lead. Yeah, and I think that's going to be interesting if they ever do get a two-goal lead in this series or more, just because... Playing with the lead in a game in the playoffs is it's a it's another world, and you know it, it's the desperation that Nashville will probably show in that situation. You know it it, it could be a whole level beyond what we've seen that, from them so far because they they really haven't had to ramp it up. Right. Um, they, they've gotten down early and then tied yeah. it back up. I mean the, that's not desperation right. time. Yeah, they haven't been down in the third in any measurable way. So, 
um, I, I'd, I'd like to see that just because I'd like to see how the Avs respond to whatever Nashville is going to bring in that situation. Um, I feel you know, like hope, hopefully we see that at some point over the next two games, and I would, you know, I, I think there's a there's a pretty good chance we might. I feel like they need a special performance from somebody, and maybe that's a little unfair. But then playoffs, you you kind of need a special performance at some point to win a round. Like like I think a lot of guys have been fine to good, and okay to not the reason why you lost but I think someone really needs to have like a moment to have a game to have something to remember them by to kind of grab a win yeah and 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 I mean all right you know I hate reaching back for the past again but it just look what McKinnon did at home in the Minnesota Wild series back in 2014 right yeah exactly and you know it's and in that, you know, his road performance was very similar to what you know. Actually, it was much worse than what we've seen so far from him. I mean, he's got three points in two games because I mean, the it's whole team to, got completely it, filled on the road in that series. Like it wasn't just yeah. him. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like it's like if he's twelve. Yeah, if he's being held to three points in two games on the road and they haven't won yet, I mean, you're, you're just sort of wondering what he's going to look like over the next two. And I do, I do hate kind of like the hero expectation. Like I, I usually no, don't. I, th- like, I, I think that's valid. I, I don't like the you know, oh, the top line's gotta you know, will themselves. But it, it's it's like I think every every team is gonna need a special performance in a series, and I think this team especially is gonna need it. So yeah, when you're in the eighth seed against the top team in the entire league. Yeah, I mean, you're going to need at least one special performance, right? And, and Bernier, he he could be a candidate, but but I think there's a lot of others, and I agree with you. I don't think goaltending is going to be the story of this series. I don't I don't see it coming down to kind of that one goal swing either way because of a goaltender. It is going to be on more of the scoring. Yeah, it, I mean, it could be someone totally random. Like, I, I was reading through some of the game notes, and, like, Gabriel Bork was one of the top scorers for the Preds back, I don't know, three, four years ago when he was, I think it was I mean, 2015. That would be, that would be hilarious. Feel, yeah, I mean, he already scored. I almost feel like we kind of already used up that slot on kind of like the bingo card. <laughs> well, he had three goals and two assists in one series. So... um you know, it's. I, I know we think of him as a plug, but you know, it's like he has had some fairly righteous experience scoring in the playoffs, even. And he's well, he been was really big, good. Yeah, he was big in the. I think during the ten game streak, I think that coincided with yeah. with with his like four goals or whatever it was. I know he's also. I think that was the end of his his run. So yeah, he could make a difference. Absolutely. I just feel like he already scored one. You know, we, we already had our two early first period leads. We already had our unlikely defenseman scoring. It just feels like, you know, we kind of used that up and it's going to, it's going to have to come from the power play. It's going to have to come from more of the no, I, scores. I, I think I really like what 
um, what the fourth line looks like right now. I he think- looks like he can actually skate, and he's playing awesome against his old team, and it's Bork's old team too. Yeah. And yeah. they're dragging Comfer around. I'm not sure how much he's really contributing, but he's not hurting them. So did, that line is fairly nice functional. Assists, so, yeah. So I'll give him credit for that, definitely. Yeah, but on a shift by shift basis, I think it's I think it's a really good experience for Comfer because I think those two are kind of showing him how he needs to play in this situation. And if you sort of look at the struggles that the Kerfoot line has been going through the last two games, it's like they're all young and this is all their, you know, first second playoff games ever and they're really struggling. And they don't have someone on their line like that showing, you know, sort of leading the way. Yeah, I, I liked in earlier in the year when they kind of did Andrew Ghetto, Wilson, and Comfer, and, and Joe looked good with Wilson at other points. So, yeah, I mean, you kind of don't want to mess with the line being good. And, and maybe that Andrew Ghetto line as it is now will do well at home. Yeah, I think they'll do yes. a lot better at home because they've gotten they, – they've like LaViolette has tried to put um, Johansson's line out against them. And it's like Bednar obviously doesn't want that you know, most of the time. And he, he, Bednar, in the first game, he sort of got it so they were against Torres' line, which is better. Um, and, and he did that a little bit yesterday as well. But it's like, you know, now that we're at home, you know, I think, I think if you can get those guys against the, the Predators' fourth line or just, you know, not against Johansson's line as much. Um, they're going to find a little bit more space and, and then be able to get the puck in the offensive zone and create some stuff more. Yeah, it should it should be different at home, and, and the matchups will will be interesting to see how that changes. I also feel like Soderberg's line hasn't been effective on the road, which I know I've mentioned on this podcast lots of times over the year. But they, if you look at the shot metrics and the matchup, they haven't been effective either, and they should be a line that is going to look a lot better at home. Yeah. They, they scored that goal, but otherwise they've gotten crushed. Yeah. And that's the thing though. Like they can get crushed and it doesn't, they don't give up much as far as points and, and goals against. Yeah. And that while that's not optimum, um, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of a static thing that you can take. Um. But again, it's like you know, they, those guys have three points between them, and even though they've been crushed, they're they're not really getting crushed on the scoreboard. So, but if you're you know, planning for take them, that. if your plan for them is to get filled, then find a different line for Matt Nieto because that's not a good role for him. <laughs> I, I thought Nieto's been actually pretty good this whole series. He, he has, yeah. I I think the problem, I think Soderbergh's kind of disappeared. I think. Think you're, if I was going to signal single one of the three out that I hope for more from, I would say Soderbergh. Yeah, he's, you know, I, I think he drives that line a lot, and I, I think when he's really on it, um, you know, they can do a lot of good things. But again, they're against the tourist line a lot, and that's, you know, again, that's not an easy line to play against. So. If they're if they're stopping tourists from scoring and and that line from scoring, then you'll take it. But it's just, I, I think you know, being able to look at a little bit of film, and hopefully, I, I don't know if they can get them better matchups than that. I mean, it's like that's their that's 
basically the the second scoring line. I don't know if you know you're not going to put Carlo against the Benino line, and you don't want to put him against Johansson's line. So, <clears throat> um, you know, it's like the Predators are really tough to match up against. They're really good. So, um, let's take a moment and and do our stars and scratches for the first couple of games of this series. Who are we happy with? I'm giving, I'm giving Sam a star. Maybe I, I definitely an, would give Sam. Maybe an, an in remembrance star as well, but <laughs> yeah, I think he, he is day to day, so we may not see him again until <laughs> October. I do hold a little bit of optimism, but you never know. I if that was it for him, I I think that was a great um, beginning of his career in the playoffs and. I think he definitely deserves a star. I, I think he was maybe the best player in that first game, and he's in definitely in contention of the best player over the last week or so. Yeah, it's it's you know it, it's tough to find someone else in the lineup that's you know it, it was so impactful in the first game, um, especially without getting a point and he controlled play so well. Um, I, I would give a star to Gabe Landeskog. Um, I, I thought he was probably the best forward in the first game. And I, I don't think he was quite as effective yesterday, but uh, he's he's doing some really good things as far as looking experienced and doing what needs to be done and, and leading by example. And... I don't think it's really paid off yet, um, but I, I think it really will over the next couple of games. I can so. agree to that. I think I think still what drives a lot of the perception of him is points, and that's unfortunate because well, he's got he's, two points in two games. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> then he's going to make both camps happy. But yeah. I think he is a type of player where he doesn't need points to have a positive impact on a game. Yeah. That's a great shot from Malcolm. Um, <clears throat> see, Landeskog was going to be the, the my star selection, so I guess that leaves me with kind of sharing a star between Gabriel Bork and Colin Wilson. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I fully agree with that. that. I, don't, I don't think either of them have been outstanding enough to merit their own star, but they've both been very, very good. This is the best Wilson has looked all season. He has a, a jump that we haven't seen from him, um, and I hope it continues. Yeah, it's crazy. Was he saving it? Is he? Did they just give him the good drugs? Holy like, crap! Yeah, exactly. It's like what did they? <laughs> what, what along with cortisone did they inject into his hip? <laughs> <laughs> or is it just motivation? You know? Yeah, I'm completely um, think. Especially as far as expectations versus impact, uh, those two certainly deserve credit. Pittsburgh and I'd like to give it Roland. It is now four nothing. They scored and then won the faceoff and then scored. Oh wow! Nice. Well, I'd hey, like to we give an honorable mention. Performed like that. <laughs> I'll be happy about that. <laughs> I'd like to give an honorable mention to the much maligned Patrick Nemeth um, and Duncan Siemens yesterday. First of all, Duncan's first playoff game. I mean, you know, who, who would have guessed at this time last year that Duncan Siemens would ever play in a playoff game, especially 
one year. Has he played in any since the Memorial Cup? <laughs> I don't think so. No, he was okay. <laughs> Certainly not in the AHL. Um, but Nemeth played almost eight minutes on the PK yesterday, and Duncan played five um, in in our penalty fest. Yeah, and I, I, say, I, don't... I will say of the kind of the bottom guys, Nemeth's been playing yeah. better minus the icings and the own goal, but he did also save a goal. So right. Yeah, and his course C4 percentage is at 59, and and yes, he played the first game mainly with Sam, and, and Sam's at much, even higher than that, but you know he sort of maintained that over yesterday's game. And that was a fun area, yeah. Right, and I mean, you know, actually, if you look at the, the defensemen, everybody is over 50%, except for Barry and Zadora, but um, you know, I, I don't know how how long before the game Duncan was notified that he was going to play. I mean, it might've been something he knew the night before or whatever, but you know, he rolled in there, even at five V five, he only played like five minutes, but he, you know, he didn't make any egregious mistakes like everybody else did. And, <laughs> you know, he, he looked like he belonged out there and uh, you know, the penalty kill was, was very effective. So, you know, I, I think those guys sort of get an honorable mention star for, Killing off four or five, and I know Nem- one went off Nemeth's toe, but I, I, he didn't mean to do that. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Scratch- so scratches Nemeth's toe. Too mad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on board with that because picking on the you know the the lowest defenseman is is an easy. Yeah. Is he on the other direction, which I'm sure we'll get to. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. Barbario's game one was bad enough to earn an obvious scratch? I think so. I mean, it's... For our show, not, not that he that should That look on his face when he was in the penalty box after the penalty <laughs> just said it all. It's like, I'm having a terrible game and I'm on national television. <laughs> what did I do to deserve this? <laughs> <laughs> so, who else would we add to that pile? Um, I'm going to put Tyson Jost in there. Um, I think he's really struggled and, and just, you know, I, I know all the young guys are having a a really tough time with this, but, um, you know, he's just, you know, he really needs to step up more than he has. Um, you know, that, that, that line needs him to be a lot better. I mean, it just, you know, all three of those guys are very young. I think Kerfoot has, has played a lot better than most people would give him credit for. I think Andrew Ghetto has been a little iffy in some situations, but he's been okay other times. But, you know, I, I, I think Jost is kind of bringing that line down and, and that's just, you know, that's something we, we don't want to see from him. And, you know, I don't think will happen much in the future, but it's right now it's a problem. I, I mean, for me with Jost, it's kind of like, you know, he's not out there a lot. It's, you know, did he directly cause a goal? You know, things like that. Like, you know, I'd have to go back and look at all the situations. I know he was out there on the Forsberg goal, so you know, maybe he didn't help. Um, you know, it it it's tough because you're weighing, you know, the time they're out there, how much time do they have to make an impact versus expectations. I mean, really expect Jost to make a big difference. I mean, he, he did in the last weeks leading up. He had some good moments. But I can agree he hasn't done much. 
So I can see that you kind of hope more from him, but I, it kind of falls into that category. Breaking up so badly. Yeah, you're total robot right now. Yeah. Oh. oh. I'll have to do okay. some slicing want- to make that work. Um, no, I can make that work. Don't worry. So what? What's one more name we got for us here? I mean, personally, I hope for a little bit more from Barry. I understand the circumstance. He's playing a lot. He's the number one guy. But I think he's done more against the team than someone like Jost has. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. I'll give you that. So, um, let's let's go ahead and move forward as we're starting to, to drag on a little bit. Um, we, we've mentioned a few times that the, that the Avs are doing some things differently in this series and than what they've done throughout the rest of the, of the regular season. I know Earl, you specifically mentioned um, stepping up on zone exits and trying to prevent entries in the neutral zone. Um, do, do you feel like that's a, a, a something that the coaching staff has consciously done to try to to gum up Nashville, or like how how do you judge the coaching staff right now on on that front? I think that's actually something that Jared Bednar has wanted to do for most of the year and just didn't think you know it wasn't able to implement it easily enough. But it, it's something like if you watch the the monsters back when they won the Calder Cup. Um, that was sort of a hallmark of their team was, was very strong neutral zone play. So I think that's something that um, it, it might be a big chunk of the way the abs play like next year and the years after. So I, I think it's, this is sort of a, a preview of that. And it just has the side effect of being something they really need to do against a team like Nashville. Okay. Do you notice him doing anything else differently apart from just like that that stepping up or because I mean we we've noticed all season long that the Avalanche have basically no forecheck. If they do, it's a soft. I'm technically forechecking kind of forecheck. Like I'm gonna skate in a loop towards you and wave a stick. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, like your your neutral zone defense starts with your forecheck. It, it's sort of all part of the same strategy. So I think that that whole thing is is sort of ramped up a little bit and I, again i think that's something that they've wanted to do for a while but but um just with such a young team they they weren't able to put that much on their plates all at once um so i like that um one thing i don't know i i don't want to pick on warsawski here but i, I just really question the the thinking behind having Warsawski instead of a PK guy like Alt or Siemens. Um, I realize moving the puck is something they obviously feel is very important. So they 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 might not be willing to sacrifice that by having Duncan or, or Alt in the lineup. But I think it showed yesterday that having a really good PK specialist uh, can really pay off. So. You know, if, if let's say Sam comes back for the for game three, I, I would rather see Duncan stay in the lineup and Warsawski go out. And I, you know, I what, definitely agree with that. Yeah, it's, I just I think Duncan can help you more than Warsawski can, and that Warsawski can hurt you a lot more than Duncan can. But if Sam doesn't come back, I think they're going to have to keep Warsawski in. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. His limitations just were blinkingly obvious, like almost immediately when Colorado got one of their power plays and he was completely incapable of holding the zone and then went back into his own zone and took a penalty. It's like, ugh. Yeah, I mean, it's just, 
I, and, you know, like, I hate tooling on the guy for something like that. I mean, it's like, you know, I think he had 40 NHL games coming into the season or something like that. So it's like, you know, this is a big ask for this dude running power play two in the playoffs. Um, so it's like, I don't think he's doing a bad job for him. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm not sure of the strategy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the whole defensive usage in the last month has just really been curious it's that we might not agree with it all the time but we can usually see kind of what they're going for some of these things it's really hard to kind of see what they're going for because alt's played pretty decent he's a right-handed shot which they don't have a lot of which is only very now (laughs) (laughs) yeah and even if they're not religious about it you kind of want to have more than one and and it's just and then they don't play him now and then the whole the Lindholm disappearance still baffles me but I guess at this point he's not an option before any of these other guys which who all were not on our team or in the AHL and now we're not using Lindholm I, I don't get it but okay whatever and um, I'm glad that they used Duncan it was, it was nice that he was the next one up I guess you probably would have figured all would have been the next one up but so, I just, um, I, I think it was weird that, you know, it's like it, it, they picked the perfect game to, to have Duncan in the lineup. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't know if they, I don't know if they knew the refs were idiots going into that game. So they're like, these guys are going to call a lot of penalties. So we're going to have a lot of PK time. Better put Duncan in. Maybe, maybe it, was it, it worked out perfect. <laughs> Barbario on the PK game one. Yeah, yeah that was. <laughs> yeah. I know it's like yeah, I mean, that, that was my main gripe from the usage in game one. It's like you know, it's like I didn't like some of the PK setups, but it's like you know, you look at who's there. I mean, it's like who are you going to use? You know, it's like when you don't <laughs> have a PK specialist like Duncan or Alton there, then you know, you get into get into some problems. Um, so that that's going to be interesting to see. You know, if some if Sam comes back, what they do, and if Sam doesn't come back, you know, do they keep Duncan? Do they put Alton? You know, I mean, it's you know, I'm, I'm sort of looking at this as is a good test for for both uh, Pratt and Benar. So we've already gotten into this a little bit um, with with Jackie talking about somebody needing to to step up and do something to win a game rather than not doing something to lose it. Um, but, but what do they need to do? <laughs> But that that came out a little bit harsher than than what you said. No, obviously. I think it's fair though. Uh, but but yeah. what, what do they need to do to take the series back to Nashville tied? How do they win these games at home? <sighs> Scoring. I, I mean it. It's easy to say, but just limit the mistakes. I mean, you know, I guess stop playing like you know you have a team full of rookies and or you know dollars. <laughs> right. Defense. So forget who right, you are. You know, <laughs> well it's not i mean it's not exactly them screwing up all the time it's like you know it's yeah. like barbario and zadorov you know and, and barry i mean it's like there there's some veterans making some bad plays here so you know it's like uh, if, if, if they can limit whole... some of the yeah if they can limit some of these mistakes then i, I you know I, I don't think it's going to be that hard to win one of these games and maybe both as a whole i know i wouldn't blame it on the the questionable defensive personnel either. I, I think they've all for who they are and the roles they've been in. I do think they've done about as well as they could have. Yeah. 
And I'm not. I mean, and, and, and if series, he... I'm not going to blame it on, you know, the, the the defenseman. Even though not, if they end up not having Sam for the rest of the series, I think, yeah, that's going to be a what could have been maybe thought there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my yeah, I mean, answer to that question sh- is real similar to yours. Just take care of the puck. I, I say yeah. score. I, I I mean, they're at home. That's what they've done at home is, is score goals, and they're going to need a performance like that to win. Oh, they, they scored four games. goals in game two. The four goals should win you the game. You've got to limit how many breakaways you're giving away the other direction. Well, but that was at the end of the game. I mean, they really – they're going to need to have a several-goal lead. They're going to need to score on the power play. They're going to need to convert on some of their – their better chances. They probably are going to need oh, three to four goals, I think, I think at minimum in each home game to really have a, a chance to win. I don't know if it's going to be that many, but I, I, I think the, what the key is is to get out to an early lead like they have, but they've only gotten out to one nothing leads. I think getting that next goal, yeah. I think if, a two nothing lead, I think they can, I think they can ride that. And I, I, by ride, I don't mean turtle the whole game. I mean that they can manage the game and, and maybe win it, you know, three one, four two, or something like that by the end. Well, Philly scores, so the Brazil is in play. Um, what happened with the end of the rampage season? <laughs> um, well, they I'll save ended my up rants for a future podcast. So <laughs> anyone that that's ready for a good old development rants, don't worry. This will happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rampage ended up winning their final game but it did not help them enough and they finished in last place in the Pacific Division for the third straight and that that makes it every single year they were affiliated with the Rampage they finished last in the Pacific Division um, that's good that's not a shining endorsement on Craig Billington um, so we we're, we're not uh, we're not too impressed with that run. The people in San Antonio are, are somewhat less so than I am. And, um, you know, it's just, it's terrible that you, you know, you go into someone's house like that and uh, give them a terrible product and get kicked out <laughs> with two <laughs> cities in a row. Um, there were some positive things. We did get a look at some nice ATOs and, and some of our draft picks over the last couple of weeks. We, we talked about some of that last week, but Adam Werner got to play a little bit more this week, and uh, he had an incredible night last night. Um, saved 37 shots in the actual hockey playing part of the game and, and five straight in the shootout to win. So um, my opinion of him has gone up a bunch. And I love Josh Dickinson. I think he's going to be a guy we're all going to love watching over development camp and, and the training camps. And uh, there, there are a few other guys that um, you know, will probably get camp invites and, and stuff that, that we'll, we'll have more on later as the summer goes on. But, you know, it, as far as looking towards what the Eagles are going to look like next year, there, there are some positive things, at least on the personnel side. All right. So yeah, there'll be plenty of time um, on on future episodes with with you guys and Rudo to get into that mess. Um, and, and shout out to Nate who has been uh, 
invaluable source of information and, and coverage of, of San Antonio for us. I forget Nate's last name. You're going to tell me out. Nate Mallet. Yes. I, I believe he's at Rampage Nate on Twitter. Um, he's been uh, been super great to, to, to hang out with in the Discord and a super great source of information on the AHL in general and especially the San Antonio Rampage. So um, happy trails to, to him and hopefully he gets to watch a better product in the future. Yeah, certainly the fans in San Antonio deserve to see some playoff hockey, and and hopefully they get that. And um, hopefully know, we do too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, we deserve yeah, it even more. <laughs> some development too, but you know, and, and and we won't hold Nate's NHL alliances against him. <laughs> no. All right, so this week the Avs are back in action on Monday and Wednesday night. Those are both 8 o'clock Mountain because NBC hates me specifically and personally. They're at home for games 3 and 4. Assuming they win one of them, game 5 will be Friday in Nashville. Times to be determined. It is prediction time. I think they'll win one. I picked them to lose in six, so I. They really I'm trying to think to whether they win both at home or one here in in Game Five in Nashville. I, I I think I'd have to go with both Monday and Wednesday wins. I think they really needed to win one of those Game One or two, and I think I think it's going to be over quick now. I know I picked them to win in or to lose in seven. I'm kind of reversing that now because I, I thought they could deal one in Nashville and not having Gerard doesn't help either. So um, it'd be nice if they win in game four just because I will be at that game. I would <laughs> like to see a win. Um, so I guess I'll predict that. Or not. The winning game three and losing game four. But I think it'll extend past Wednesday. I just don't think it'll extend by much. So my uh, my my prediction going into the series was that Colorado would 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 steal game one and then just get crushed in game two, um, win game three whether that's through a mad goaltending performance or what, and then probably lose game four honestly and then five and six. Um, after watching Nashville the first two games against Colorado, I see a lot more opportunity for the Avalanche than I saw before. Um, Nashville do not look unbeatable. They do not look like an unstoppable juggernaut. They look vulnerable. Um, I don't know if they're making it through the second round or not based on this performance, but um, I think Colorado can win both games at home. If they get Sam Girard back, I think it's more likely. If they don't, I think they split them. That's, what, that's one thing I wanted to bring up about this is, you know, a lot of people are saying Nashville doesn't look that great. Um, how much of that is the Avs being better than you thought and despite their personnel problems still being able to be competitive? And, and how much of that is Nashville just not, not really being that good? I, I think some of both. I think the Avs are legitimately causing problems for them. And I, and I think that's kind of evident by how the abs have done better early in the game. And then kind of by the end of the game, Nashville kind of gets their footing and figures it out. I think legitimately in the first and second periods, the avalanche are giving them problems. I also think they didn't end this season. Well, I think they lot really kind of mailed in a few games. So maybe they haven't 
really started firing on all cylinders. But I do feel like if they get through this series, they're going to look better in the next series. And I, I think some of that might be due to momentum. I think also some of that might be due to getting away from the avalanche. My playoff bracket yeah. certainly hopes so. Although I will not be cheering for this team. And the, the amount of people who were saying they were going to cheer for this team until they saw who they are in the playoffs really confuses me. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, PK, he's so cool. This is a great team. And you're just like, they got a lot of shitbirds on this team, man. That's it's not all I PK. I'm, I'm just like, y'all didn't know this is who they are? Really? Going into the series, it was almost a little too much respect. Like, oh, they're just so good. Good. Almost kind of like saying, oh, I hope they win the cup. You know, I, I think it was a little much going into the series. And Ivan said, I can't wait to see just kind of like through the end of it where the kind of the animosity gets up to. It certainly won't be to the level of some of the other teams that that we face. But I think the whole like, oh, good for them. Oh, the catfish thing's so cute. Everything's so wonderful. It's adorable. Yeah. We love Nashville. <laughs> I really hope they win the their their fans have so much fun yeah <laughs> i know and it's like you know you're looking at your like i mean look at austin watson i mean it's like it, 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 he's he's about as unlikable as it gets i mean he's not not quite Corey perry level but you know he, he's not far away either you know he, and it's like forsberg yeah exactly and, and like forsberg everyone's like oh you know it's like peter forsberg was really cool this guy's probably cool too and it's just like He's not, you know, it's like he's a dick. <laughs> you know, he's not really that likable. I mean, he's, you know, he's an amazing player, but he's not very likable. <laughs> I mean, and on the ice, P.K. Subban's a little troll, too. I mean, it's just, yeah. just because he's an absolute gem of a person doesn't mean he's not scummy on the ice. Exactly. Yeah, way with a lot, too. Yeah, so I'll be interested to see kind of how that evolves after the series and going into next year and it. It certainly won't reach the level of Minnesota, St. Louis, even Winnipeg. But, but I, I, I think it wouldn't be the worst thing if a little bit of that respect got dialed back just a touch. I'd yeah. love to see like a little bit of a rivalry here. I mean, I know you know there's a, a big disparity between the teams right now, but you know I think this could be a fun rivalry as sort of the the Predators crest and and perhaps start tailing off a bit, and the Avs are on the rise. Um, you know, I think this could be a fun rivalry. Well, Gerard sure. will always be editor, so that that's always going to be a, you know, kind of what what did they give up kind of thing. Not that they regret it, but they're going to see him for a long, long time. They yeah, are. and in, you know, and if Kevin turns out to be a player, I mean, you know, there, there's some good, you know, th there's there's been some good trades between these teams over the past couple of years, and sure, you know. They they know each other well on on many levels, so and, and maybe, I, I um, think it, it would be a good rivalry rather than Minnesota, which is a horrible rivalry. <laughs> and, and and maybe Avalanche legend Kyle Turris will come to to haunt the Avs too. Who knows? That's right. Good old number eight. <laughs> eight and a half, almost nine, <laughs> eight and three quarters. <laughs> You, you gotta love a player committing an obvious penalty and then just like screaming at the official about how bad the call is. It's just—it's never not funny. <laughs> Derek Broussard uh. sticks his skate out and then pulls the flyer over his st his skate and he trips him. And then the call is immediately made and he's just like, "What? That's so bad!" I was like, 
<laughs> so and next week's show depends on the avalanche if they survive through five games uh we'll record and release on saturday in advance of game six on sunday probably that's also going to depend on scheduling and stuff um if they're done by then we'll do the usual release for sunday night monday morning is that fair for you guys yeah yeah that sounds good all right so whether they're making it to to five or six games i think everybody's predicting at least five um you know you can find out here you can catch us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio or on mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio. We're on iTunes. We're on the Google Play Music Store. We're in your favorite RSS-based feed catcher. You can catch us on burgundyrainbow.com. And you can find the Discord there to come in there and yell at us about whatever the heck you feel like. Um, Avalanche are in their first playoff series and in a position that they honestly earned in quite a while. They're holding their own. Um, hopefully they can stick the dirty areas and just as much as you guys before we see you next week. I'm doing this one pretty much intro-less because I see how easy it could be for us to get going long, so I want to just dive into it, if that works. Me, 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 me. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll take one more swig of tea.